Don't talk about God. Don't talk about Buddha. Don't talk about monks and spiritual beings or anyone. Talk about the universal law of cause and effect. You do this, you get this. You create this, you do that. And we are our own masters. There's two things that I want to touch upon tonight with all of you. And we won't make it too late because we have um, to meet people tomorrow and you, I think you're coming too, right? Yeah. You're welcome to, rather. You're welcome to. I would love to. Pleasure. Good. So, um, there's two things I want to touch upon to help you guys if we can cover because they're quite vast subjects and they take actually days, but I'm going to condense it. One is about the mind and how it reincarnates. The second is about um, the qualities of a Buddha form and uh, the reason we make Buddha statues and the reason why we offer incense or water or we create them or we make them or we bow to them, pray to them or we hold them in such reverence. So I thought these two would be very significant because then the Lanta Buddha will have huge significance if you understand. And uh, actually, I wanted to explain this to you all up there, but there was a slight obstacle. It was called a typhoon. <laughs> so could not. Now, um, there are many, there are many types of phenomena out there. Not everything is quantifiable or measurable by Western science. And to think that science can quantify every type of existence or mind or form or beginning and end would be actually limiting ourselves. That means we know everything there is to know and that's impossible. So therefore, some of us are educated in proper schools or whatever that might be that teach us to say that whatever it is, we have to make it scientifically approached. I don't fully agree with that, although I love science. And the reason is because there are many, there are more things that science does not know as opposed to knowing. And um, science can't wipe away thousands of years of Chinese culture, Buddhist culture, spiritual culture, cannot wipe away. There are many things in um, Chinese culture, for example, if we spoke about the other day, Qi that cannot be measured, or tested, or touched, or felt, or smelt, or seen by, the, by our sensory abilities, eyes, ears, and all that. It doesn't mean they don't exist. So therefore, like that as an example, there are many other things out there that exist that are not easily to be seen immediately. Therefore, there are many forms of existences. There are many dimensions. There are many types of beings. There are many types of modes of existence. There are many ways to take birth. There are many ways to die. There are many planets, universes. There are many other forms of life that would have talked about, mentioned thousands of years ago. All right. What's incredible is even in the Buddhist scriptures, Buddha talked about the atom in reference to one of the teachings. And the atom, in Tibetan, we call it two. Two is a small, very tiny, microscopic type of 
being that is always changing and moving and it combines a lot of those into one to form something more massive and solid and touchable. So even in the Buddhist scriptures, they talk about atoms thousands of years ago, which was not discovered to recently in Western science. My point is not a comparative study of who's better or worse. My point here is don't look at spiritual practice in the spiritual realm, in the spiritual development according to scientific type of benchmarks because it always does not work. Now, the Chinese people have been very practical, powerful, rich in so many facets of existence and life and we can't wipe those out. And part of the Chinese people's psyche, existence, culture, background, living, and what made them Chinese is Buddhism for thousands of years. And Buddhism entered China before Tibet, before Japan, before Southeast Asia. I mean, China already embraced it. And when China embraced Buddhism, it wasn't just <clears throat> with respect to peasant stock. It isn't just the peasants who are not educated, so a bunch of bald men with big robes came and said, oh, you have to pray and do this and do that. It was among the elite. It was among the scholars. It was among the royal courts. It was among the emperors, the concubines, the empresses. It was among the people who are knowledgeable and very learned that they examined Buddhism and they accepted it and they practiced it and it became part of Chinese culture. So for us to <coughs> excuse me, understand Buddhism, maybe even practice Buddhism, it's a part of our culture. So how does that apply to other people in the world? Well, we can share cultures. The whole world enjoys Chinese food. Why not Dharma? Why not Buddhism? Why not? So my point is that we shouldn't look at Buddhism as separate. Since we're in Hong Kong, since we're among Chinese people here, we shouldn't look at Buddhism as separate from who we are in our identity. It's part of our identity. In fact, when I went to the Lantau Island today and saw the magnificent Buddha, I was very proud. I was very proud because on a spiritual level, it was awesome to me to be in the presence of such a large holy Buddha image. But on a cultural level, wow, this is China. This is the East. Well, in the East, the gateway to the East is Hong Kong. You have the beautiful Lantau Island sitting there entering into the East. And I thought it's very significant. And I also thought it was very beautiful that Hong Kong being such a metropolitan, powerful, advanced, modern, can have this powerful spiritual iconography in, the, in just in the middle of everything. Drawing millions, you know, millions of people there. And I felt quite proud that Chinese did not forget their culture, Chinese did not forget their background, where they come from, and their incredible rich heritage. I mean, rich is an understatement. Really, it's an understatement because there's nowhere in the world that no one's heard, not heard of China or its influences, and it's growing. So, um, I identify with China, although I'm not Chinese, because I am Asian. And I've been called Chinese my whole life <laughs> in America. Um, so, I identify with it. And why am I saying that? It's because I felt a lot of emotions today going to Lanta Island. I felt quite a lot of emotions. They're all positive, all positive. One was very proud to see that the people here are proud of their culture, their Buddhist culture. And that colonialism, 
and the colonial past. Didn't brainwash them into thinking that their culture, their religion, their people, their philosophy, their writing, their music, their food, their, their identity is inferior. Because a lot of colonialists tended to do that. To make the colonized countries feel inferior to them. Religion, culture, food, clothes, architecture, whatever it was. We're the colonizers, we are better. And you guys are the colonized, so you are inferior, you follow us. And a lot of people, you know, um, there are some remnants that pockets here there where people feel that, oh, they speak with an English accent, they're better or whatever. I don't believe that. I don't believe that. So what I believe is that we are who we are. We are all equal. And we are, we have the same potential, we have the same capability, and we're given the same opportunities. And uh, coming to Hong Kong, seeing the Lantan Buddha, I felt very proud. I felt very proud that a nation, a culture, China, would identify with their past, symbolized by this great Buddha. And when China identifies its past, symbolized by this great Buddha, it's very powerful because it empowers every nation to go back into their heritage, their culture, their background, who they are, and to be proud. And that's the message, to be proud. And I like that very much. On a spiritual side, I was in awe because I know that inside this Buddha statue in Lantau, there's a lot of relics. Relics are hair, nail, bone, clothes, objects that a very sacred, holy person, saint, meditator, master, monk, had used in the past. So if we have a bone or a hair or a nail of this great master in the past, and we keep it, we would enshrine it inside, for example, a statue. When we enshrine it inside the statue, the benefits are twofold, the statue and the holy object. So therefore, um, that's what a relic is. A relic is a piece of a holy being. It could be, for example, a rosary that they had used. So maybe you had one bead, that would be very appropriate to put inside um, a holy statue. So this statue has many relics from around the world, from many great masters, even the Buddha rel relics of the Buddha himself. So when we go there and we make prayers and we circumambulate, pay homage, offer incense, it's very, very worth our while. Very much so. And I'll explain why in a little while. Now, everything in the world operates on a continuity basis, continuous basis. There must be a moment prior in order to be a current moment. And then there must be a current moment to shift into a future moment. And these moments make up the hours, the days, the weeks, the months, the years, etc., decades, etc., millennium. So, but they're based on the moments. The moments are based on instantaneous. Kijik, in Tibetan we say Kijik means just like that, the time flows. So it's not like I look at you and then you're here. You were here yesterday to be here today. You'll be here today to be there tomorrow. Without that continuity, you would not exist. The lamp would not exist. The table wouldn't exist. Maybe the table is made of bamboo, I'm told. So it's made of bamboo prior to this. It had to be bamboo. Prior to that, it has to be saplings. Prior to that, it has to be a seed or whatever. But you see, it's continuous. It just didn't appear as a bamboo. You didn't just appear as you. Now, having said that, all phenomena 
would we agree come from a continuous basis? That nothing just suddenly appears. Nothing suddenly just exists. It exists from a prior moment, and it will keep existing to the next moment. And even when it dies, it doesn't actually die. There's the next moment and the next moment. So therefore, if we look at ourselves very carefully, we put out all, everything that we've learned, we put it aside, and we have an open mind, and we think carefully, and we look at ourselves, and we do this meditation. It's to look for ourselves. It's in conjunction with the breath. We look for ourselves. How do we look for ourselves? Who are we? We call ourselves by our various names, Sean, Run Run, Jay, uh, Race. We call ourselves by the various names. But if we look at ourselves, who is Run Run? Where is Run Run? Where does Jace exist, uh, Race exist in her body? Where does Sean exist in your body? So are you in your finger? No, because you cut that off, you still live. Are you in your feet? in your knees, in your arms, your legs, your chest, are you even in your head? So if you ask yourself that question, it's philosophical, also it's metaphysical, and at the same time it's very, very introspective because it goes to something higher, it doesn't stop there. Where are you? Where are you, Run Run? Um, it's not a trick question, it's a it's an introspective question. Wiring in my mind, in my brain, the organ that contains this wiring, that are neurosynapses that sort of are connected. Okay, so you feel that you are your organ, the brain. So the I, it, the existent you, the run run that you feel exists, the run run that likes and doesn't like, thinks and doesn't think, prefers this, doesn't prefer this, is in your brain, in the organ. And all the electrical waves that go through is you. So, we don't need anything else. It is just your brain. I'm not talking about your physicality or your form. I'm talking about you. Well, my existence is a dialectic relationship with reality. So I need to have others in order for me to exist. That's true. But that's not you. I'm not asking you in your relations to others of existence. I'm asking who are you. I don't think I exist in vacuum. No, I didn't ask you if you exist in vacuum. I asked you, where do you exist? Okay, is I, it solely your brain? Um, the locus. So if I take your brain out mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and I put it into another body, mm -hmm. is that the new one? Uh, biologically, yes. So you are just your brain. You do need, you're nothing else. Okay, that's all right. We'll get clearer with that. It's not a trick question. It's not to trap you. Don't worry. Sorry, <laughs> overthink. <laughs> no, you think. You think because I'll give you the answer in a short while. Sure. Where are you, Sean? In limbo. So you're not your brain? No. If you are in limbo, do you have desires? Do you have desires? Yes. Where do your desires arise from? If your desires arise from limbo, your desires must be in limbo or they don't exist. Because limbo is not here or there. So where do your desires arise from? Who is Sean? Is it your brain? Is it your body? Is it your chest? Is it your arms? Is it your legs? And if you put it all together and say, that's Sean, which part? What is Sean? 
Because I can cut off your legs and arms and you can still live, live right? You're still Sean. If I say Sean, you say yes. So it's not your legs and arms. If it's not your legs and arms, how could it be your torso? Or your head? Or your ear or your nose? This Sean that you have been living with, for lack of a better word, that says, I need to make money, I need to pay my bills, I need to get a girlfriend, I need to maybe have a family, I need to cut my hair, I need to eat, I need to sleep, I need, I'm sick, I'm not well, I'm happy, I like this, I don't like this, this is bitter, this is sour, I prefer sour, I don't prefer bitter, I like sweet, I don't like salty, I like salty. Who is this Sean? Where does this Sean exist? This Sean that has all the preferences, likes and dislikes, where is this Sean? Interesting, isn't it? Yes. And when we don't even know <laughs> where this shot is, yet we have so much identity with it. I like this. I don't like this. I am. I am not. I am Chinese. I am Japanese. I am. I am. I am. I am cold, I am hot, I am nice, I am jealous, I am self-indulgent, I am not spiritual, I am spiritual. I like you, I don't like you. All these statements that we always make throughout all of our lives is not what I'm judging or saying wrong or right. What I'm saying is, where does that come from? Where is Sean? No, that couldn't be logical because you have the preferences, not people. Mm -hmm. No, it's my reaction to... Before they even react, you have to have a statement or yeah. a like or a preference for them to react to it, right? Mm -hmm. Prior to the reaction, where does the preferences arise from? So in the deeper meditations on Buddhism, the emptiness meditations. The emptiness meditations do not mention you don't exist. It talks about your mode of existence and how it exists. So hence, if you are not sure where Sean is, and Run Run says it's his brain, if you say it's that, then how can Run Run's brain be influenced by anything on the outside at all? Because you are you. That's you. That's your existence. You cannot be influenced. Example, if I have a rock, that's a rock. If I put it in the water, it's still a rock. If I put it in the mud, it's a rock. If I throw it in the sky, it's a rock. If I bring it to the moon, it's still a rock. So a rock is a rock. A rock exists from its side as a rock. But if Run Run's brain is, let's see, if I have him grow up in Argentina, he speaks Spanish, maybe even looks Spanish, and you'd be huge in their parades there. Huge. <laughs> You'd be top of the float. <laughs> Alright, but if I put you in Japan, you speak Japanese, you'd be Japanese-ish. But if I put you in Hong Kong, you are what you are now. But you say that's you. Then you're going to turn around and say, well, that's impressionable, that's in principle. Well, if that's in principle, then where are you? Where is the, sh where is the run run? Now, why do we say that? 
Because if you truly exist the way you think you exist, then everything around you is false. If you don't truly exist the way you've been thinking you exist, then everything you like and don't like also doesn't exist. It is something fabricated from you. Fabricated, solidified by habit, held on, and then creates your sufferings. So that means everything we like and don't like and everything we label ourselves, good, bad, insecure, secure, rich, poor, smart, successful, not successful, is not viable. Because where does that come from? In Buddhism, the mind is non-tangible. No smell, no taste, no color, no tangibility. The aggregates, the five sensory powers cannot perceive the mind. It can perceive the results of the mind, but it cannot receive the mind. And the mind, perceive, not receive, perceive the mind. And the mind is temporarily associated or connected with this body and this brain, but it is not a part of it. And the mind, doesn't need the brain, doesn't need the body to exist, to function, to cognize, to perceive, to compute. This body is just something that it uses temporarily. And we can leave this body. People can astral travel. People have psychic abilities. There are people with great, great psychic abilities. They don't have to be somewhere to use their eyes. To see. I'll give you another example. We need our eyes to see, don't we? No, we don't. Our eyes are just something that we are used to using to see. We can see without our eyes. I'll give you an example. When you're dreaming, what do you use to see? Correct. When you are dreaming, what? You see, you taste, you hear, you touch, you fear. And then you wake up and say, oh, is it a dream or is this a dream? And you go, oh, no, no, that was a dream. What are you seeing with? That is your mind. And that is proof you don't need this body for your mind to exist. When you dream, you can see, hear, taste, touch, feel without this body. And our dreams sometimes are very, very clear. You know, we're being chased by a monster, we're falling down a building, where you know we hit the jackpot, in all of it's there. We can see. But your eyes are closed, your ears are shut down. You're an REM, rapid eye movement, which is your deep sleep. Everything is shut down. There can be somebody next to you banging away, and banging away on the pops, you know, bang, bang, on the cymbal, bang, 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 bang. If you're a deep sleeper like some people, you won't even hear it. Yet you hear what you see in your dreams and what you're dreaming. That proves to you, you have a mind. 
that is separate from this body. That's a glimpse of its existence. Now let's go a little further. Everybody understand that? So far. Let's go a little further. Since we have a mind that can exist different than our body, then what's our body have to do with everything? What's, what's with this body? What's going on with this body? Why did we spend our whole life trying to satisfy this body? It's called delusions. It's called delusions. Self-delusion, actually. Now, right now, we're sitting here. Six, seven hours ago, we're in the typhoon. We're up walking around. I was breathing hard. We're, you know, we're, we're in Lantau. Now it's all over. Now if we think about it, it's almost as if it never happened. And if we wait 10, 20, 30 years, maybe we completely forget about it as if it never happened at all. But it did happen. For you to be here today, you definitely was around six, seven hours ago. I saw you. But if I didn't see you, and I say, well, I didn't see you, and therefore you weren't around six, seven hours ago, would that be logical? Do I need to see you to know you were around? No. But if I see you now, it's obvious you were around. Correct? That's called inferential logic. Inferential logic is very strong in debate in the monasteries and in Buddhist studies. Because for phenomena we cannot see, we use inferential logic to source its existence. For things we can see, we use direct perception logic. Now, for you to exist at this moment, you must have existed a moment prior, and a moment before that, and a moment before that, correct? Okay. This is my favorite question to people, and I always ask them. I don't want you to think, I want you to just tell me, because you were there. It happened to you. Last three Thursdays ago, what did you have for lunch? Quick, tell me. Okay. What did you have for lunch? But you definitely had lunch, right? Okay, but if we put you in a controlled environment, put on some incense, some music, light, relaxation, deep breathing, and we recall back one day with maybe where you went, you check your calendar. Oh, I remember now, I, I was having lunch here. Would that memory not come back to you? But we got to relax, don't we? Mm -hmm. So that memory coming back means you never forgot. So where's that information stored? I'll come back to that. And why is that information retrievable when we are relaxed? And we focus. What do we have for lunch today? Quick. Good. You see that information is there. And if I ask you this a year later, you guys say, oh, I forgot. But if we trace back, you can. Is it possible you can remember? Yeah. Right. So what does that mean? That memory is somewhere in you, right? Mm -hmm. But if you cannot directly access it, does it mean it doesn't exist? If you cannot directly access the memory immediately, does it mean that it never happened? Logically, no. Okay? Tonight you can just relax, there's no trick questions. So you don't say, oh my god, this is a lecture class, and the professor is going to call on me. <laughs> oh. Just relax. There's no right and wrong. Just relax. Now, if you existed now, you existed a minute ago. 
you exist an hour ago, a year ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago. Let's pretend you're all 30. Whatever your age doesn't matter. Let's pretend you're born January um, 2nd, 30 years ago. For you to exist today, you must have existed January 2nd, 30 years ago, correct? For you to exist January 2nd, the day you were born, were you existing January 1st? Yes? Yes. Where were you? Very good. So if you were existing January 1st, nine months prior were you existing in order to exist nine months later? What were you? Separated by DNA material to... A sperm and neck. Right. So for your sperm and egg to exist prior, for your consciousness to be there, you must have existed, right? So existence of you right now as you know it started with the joining of the egg and sperm of your parents. When that egg and sperm joined, you were created, although you were two cells. Is that logically correct? Okay, now you become three billion million cells, whatever. How many cells do we have in our body? I don't know. In my case, probably trillions. Okay, whatever. 300 billion trillion cells. Now, but I started out as a two cell just like you. That's why life is unfair. And these cells aren't going anywhere. That's the problem. But never mind. So is it true that you two, all of you were two cells at one time? Maybe even for a split second, you became three, four, five, six, and a million, and two million, you know, whatever it is. Is that true or not? Yeah. Okay. So, when you were two cells, was that you, Race? Yeah. You existed. Very good. Prior to the two cells, where were you? Waiting for reincarnation. Prior to the two cells, where was Run Run and Sean? Because you can't just start to exist with those two cells. Let's fast forward. If you, me, are our two cells, then the source of our two cells, of course, is our precious mother and father. And we must ex be exactly like them. Have you never heard of Dolly? Okay. When you clone someone, they're exactly the same. So you must like, think, talk, act, get married, exactly like your parents. Some of us don't want to get married or our parents have been married four times. So why is it we are so different than our parents if we came from them? Is it true that there are extremely intelligent children that come out of parents that are just normal intelligence and vice versa are there cases where children come out mentally handicapped but their parents are geniuses and doctors yeah. what happened so if you are your brain your blood your cell your sinews your joints your nerves your muscle if that is you then you must be exactly the same as the source are you the same as your parents and what kind of clone are you, Dolly? You have to be exactly like that. You can't be so different and so diverse. It's impossible. 
In fact, many kids do not resemble their parents physically and mentally at all. Saintly parents can produce really massive criminals, serial killers. You understand? And vice versa. There's a point. If your existence and who you are and your identity, your it, your I, we can subjectively, subjectively say it doesn't come from your parents. Then where did you come from? And you must have existed prior to the joining of the sperm and the egg. If you existed at the time that your sperm and egg joined, and that's you right at that moment, there must be a prior moment, and a moment before that, and a moment, and a year before that, and 10 years, and 100 years, and 200 years before that. Or else that can't lead to that, which leads to this. Now just think for a moment. That's why our likes, and dislikes, and predilections, and directions are very different than our parents. Because we didn't get our mind from our parents. We didn't get our likes and dislikes from our parents. Incidental things such as food, clothes, jewelry can be influenced by culture. Chinese love jade. You go to America, you know, what's jade? What's the big deal? To Chinese, maybe now it's different, but a diamond is not a big deal. A jade is really wow, especially to older generation. Okay? That's, that can be cultural. That's just nurture, not so much nature. And uh, Chinese, Chinese unfortunately loves to eat shark's fins. I've never heard that in America. Who want to eat? Get a shark, cut a fin, eat it. Why? I've got a life. But that's a cultural imprint. But there are other things about us that are not culturally imprinted at all. Where did those come from? Some of us even have memories of the past, deja vus, that are very clear, very strong. Western psychology would say, oh, it's a neurosis, let's treat it. But that's all they can say, because they don't know any better. That's all they can say. If they're going to treat that as a neurosis, every Tibetan Lama in Tibet is going to have to go for therapy. Now, at the moment of your conception, let's say you were conceived at 12, a.m. 11 p.m. 11 p.m. You were conceived at 11 p.m. If you were conceived at 11 p.m., you must have existed at 10.59 p.m. 10 p.m., 9 p.m., 8 p.m., the day before. You must have existed January 1st to be, to be conceptualized on January 2nd. Where were you in your prior existence? and it carried over. So your likes, your dislikes, are imprinted from your previous lives already. And so you may come into your parents and they say, you must do this, 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 this. You must study law and be a doctor. I'd rather be an artist. Where did we get this kid from? What a weirdo. You can't make any money being an artist. So that's not good or bad, but that's carried over, you see. When it's carried over, even in this life, no matter what environment we are in, that previous life or lives imprint 
is very strong. Very, very strong. We just need a trigger point. We need something to trigger. If our previous life was a spiritual person, and we perhaps meditated, practiced, maybe we even offered incense to the Buddha. In this life, when we meet a guru, a teacher, we see a monastery, a tanka, a statue, someone offering incense, it triggers it. It triggers what? What you ate last Tuesday. It triggers what you did 3,000 Tuesdays ago in your previous life. Mm -hmm. Just because you don't remember it doesn't mean it doesn't exist. Isn't that fabulous how it's intertwined? Now, if that's the case, why is it we can't remember everything? Because we don't meditate and we don't calm ourselves and we don't create space and awareness in our mind. Because memory has no limitations. There is not three million things you can remember and that's the, that's, that is the hard disk, no more. Our hard disks have no limit. As great master Shakyadeva says, our memory is no beginning, no end, it's continuous. Meaning there's no limit, there's no limitation. And the minute we understand that and, and understand what I just told you, it becomes very liberating. Then the limitations we put on ourselves are gone. Now, we, to make things simple and easy, to bring down a 2,500-year-old deep philosophical talk by the Buddha to a few minutes to today's people, we have two types of minds. We have the gross mind, and we have the subtle mind. Gross is just as it's said, meant, G-R-O-S-S. -S. It's very, very obvious, very clear to see, very easy to identify. Then we have the subtle mind. The subtle mind is, by its label, very difficult to identify, yet exists. The gross mind arises from the subtle mind. The subtle mind is us. Now, the gross mind and subtle mind can exist with form or no form. They can exist with a body and without a body. That means when you die, the subtle mind can exist, in, and then there's an in-between state, and then you can take birth or go to a different realm, or go to a different place. Because you can take rebirth, the mind must exist before rebirth. Because mind exists before rebirth, mind can exist after rebirth. The gross mind is dependent on our physical body. That means if we take a body of a dog, if we take a body of a human, if we take a body of a, a blind person, if we take a body of a mute person, or a deaf person, or we take a body of a Chinese person, of a, um, a Tibetan person, of a Japanese person, of, of, of a Brazilian person, then our minds temporarily are associated with that existence. I am Chinese. I like Chinese food. I am of Chinese descent. And we associate everything with Chinese. And in that life, that imprint was very strong. Even if we take a new life, that chinese -y thing will still be very strong. Hence, a lot of people in the West go to the East and feel more comfortable. A lot of people in the East go to the West and feel very comfortable. We call that expats. But actually, they're reconnecting back to something from the past. And I want you to understand, 
planet Earth is only part of existence. It is not the only place. It's not the only limit. Now, our gross mind is directly connected with our gross five aggregates. We have the eye consciousness, the eye mind, the eye consciousness, ear consciousness, taste consciousness, smell consciousness, and touch. So we use that as an avenue to give information to the subtle mind. When we die, or when we're dying, if we go through the natural process, then those five aggregates will dissolve slowly. One by one by one by one. When those aggregates dissolve, you will see a clear light. Some people say, oh, it's a light at the end of the tunnel. Some people say, oh, I see God. But it's not God or the light at the end of the tunnel. It is your own mind. When our aggregates dissolve, we can't taste anymore, touch, feel, see. Even the person next to us touching our hand, whispering things in our ear, we won't hear, we can't feel anymore because that aggregates is dissolved. That dissolves into our subtle mind. When that subtle mind dissolves, it leaves us. It enters a place called Bardo. B-A-R-D-O. Bardo means exactly what it means, the in-between state. In the Bardo state, we are prepared to take rebirth into another realm, into another place, into another body, into another existence. How we take that is according to the actions that we have been doing. If we have been predominantly lying to people, then we'll take rebirth in a situation, in a place where we will be lied to, where we will be tricked, and our wishes never fulfilled. If in our lifetime we've been killing animals, beings, their suffering becomes our pleasure, then will we take rebirth in such an existence? where we will have to feel the same. There is not an almighty creator that creates us. It is called karma. It is the force of our karma. Now, if we have not been lying, if we have been lying, one of the rebirths we can take is our voice will be extremely unpleasant. Our minds will be unstable. We cannot garner the respect of other people when we speak. And our teeth will be crooked, unclean, missing. Our breath will smell. And we have a general unpleasant form. Why? Lying hurts people. So the result of lying will come back that even in that life where we don't lie, we'll have the results of lying. So therefore, when we lie, we will be reborn with a mind that thinks or operates in such a way that doesn't match other people. So they won't like us. Or whatever we say and talk, they don't find pleasure. Or our appearance would be unpleasant. Unpleasant doesn't mean beautiful or ugly. Unpleasant. Upon sight, they don't like. Example, a snake, when you see, don't like. Now, if we practice not lying, then we will be born with a body, we'll be born with a speech that's very pleasant. What we say commands and captures and charismatic to other people. 
At the same time, we'll have perfect teeth, a good body, and a form that captures other people's attention. For example, from not lying, for aeons upon aeons upon aeons, the Buddha has a body that is tall, that is straight, with long arms, long fingers, long neck, very pleasant to see, very powerful to gaze upon. And to see Buddha's body, one will feel peace instantly. Some people, when you see them, oh, you feel uncomfortable, right? But when you see a Buddha's body, no matter who you are, that's why it's Buddha statues are famous all over the world, even if you don't believe in them. When you put a Buddha in a garden, automatically, automatically gives you the feeling of calm and peace and zen in space. Westerners love putting Buddhas all over for that reason. Easterners also. Now, one aeon. I give you a very rough, very rough example, a very simple example. If you take, if you cut a hole in the ground, if you dig a hole in the ground that's one mile wide, one mile long, one mile deep, one mile in breadth, and then you take human hair and you cut off by one inch and you fill up this hole. Every hundred years, you remove one hair. For the time for that to be empty is one aeon. One hundred of those aeons are one great aeon. It takes three aeons for someone to practice to become a fully awakened Buddha. The normal path. That means, listen carefully, three aeons of not lying, three aeons of holding morality, three aeons of ethics, three aeons of generosity, compassion, three aeons of working for the benefit of others, three countless aeons of serving others, and then you gain fully enlightenment, just as Shakyamuni did. So when you look at a body of a Buddha, you are looking at three aeons of morality, compassion, wisdom, practice, meditative concentration, generosity, selflessness. Three aeons. In this life, we have people like Nelson Mandela, who I'm sorry I made the mistake the other day, I said 19 years, actually he was in jail for 27 years, who gave his body, his life, and his freedom to be in jail for 27 years to free his country from apartheid. Do we not respect him? If he was in jail for 27 days, we'll be like, wow, already, right? But 27 years, when you see him, what is that? An icon of freedom, self-sacrifice, and love for his people. Is that not admirable? How about if he was in jail for three aeons? Be a god. Godlike. You, you understand my point? So, when we see Aung San Suu Kyi, whatever is happening now, I don't know, but I'm talking about last year. How many years was she imprisoned? Why did they give her the Nobel? Because she sacrificed. She has a husband, she has children, she didn't see them for 10, 15 years. Why? For her country. For her country. For her countrymen to have a better life, to have a better government, whatever that means. Do we not admire her? When we're in her presence, why do we admire her? Because she gave us money? No. Because she taught us how to be beautiful? No. 
Because she ha she's wealthy? No. Because they have the mind to work for others, and we respect them. The world still respects them. Now imagine, that is in one lifetime, they spend two or three decades for others, and we, it commands that kind of respect and that kind of iconography. So if we say to them, hey man, why don't you be like Nelson Mandela? We know what that means. But a Buddha, life after life, did not lie. Commit offenses, harm, drink, damage others. So when you look at a Buddha's body, you're looking at three aeons of perfect meditative practice. Hence, when you light an incense, which what we did today before I met you guys, when we light an incense to the Buddha, you are lighting an incense to honor, praise, and create affinity with three aeons of his perfection. So when you bow down to the Buddha, you are bowing down to three aeons of perfection. What happens when you make a connection with this perfection? What happens? You create the karmic causes to achieve the same as them. I repeat, you create the karmic causes to achieve what they have achieved. So if you bow down to them, if you offer incense, if you offer milk, water, light, flowers to the perfect Buddha, whatever your offerings represent, your offerings are three aeons of their perfection. When you offer to three aeons of their perfection, do you know what happens? You are creating the causes to achieve what, achieve what they have achieved. When you recite their mantra, Om Muni Muni, Maha Muni, Shakya Muni Soha. 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 You are praising the perfect Buddha, Shakyamuni, like what we today saw today, and gaining an affinity to their qualities. That means when you worship the Buddha, when you make offerings to the Buddha, when you keep a statue of the Buddha, and you keep the place clean, and you offer drinks and tea and water and prostrations and prayers, you are Connecting to your potential. Why? Because the Buddha prior to this was an ordinary person just like us. Who became a Buddha. Hence, every person, animal, spirit, ghost, being, sentient being, sentient, living, cognizing, whether they like or don't like the Buddha, when they see the Buddha, they will be blessed by three aeons of his perfection. And seeds of his perfection will be planted in their mind. In that way, the bigger the statue, the more can be blessed. Hence, in the Buddhist tradition, we build Buddha statues as big and as large and as high as possible. <coughs> Hence, in ancient China, it was very, very virtuous 
as in all of the Buddhist world, to sponsor <coughs> Buddha statues. To create thousands and thousands and thousands of Buddha statues to give away. And you can even put the name of the person dedicated to. For example, if we love our mothers very much, we love our fathers, a brother, an uncle, an aunt, a godparent, a, a sister, a lover, a husband, a wife, a, a, a child, and they're very sick, or they're old, or they have passed away, or soon they will pass. One of the best things we can do for their future life is to create Buddha statues. Why? Everything we give them in this life can only help them in this life, nothing more. Nothing more. So therefore, if we have a Buddha statue and it's made correctly, blessed and consecrated, we are holding a being that has three aeons of accomplishments. Now, for example, the Buddha not lying, speaking pleasantly to others, speaking only wisdom, using his speech, her speech, only to benefit others, created a few results. One is the Buddha's body is very tall, very long, very pleasant to see. Two, the, the presence of a Buddha or an image creates peace, calm. Along with that, from not lying, Buddha has 60 qualities of speech. And his tongue is extremely long. Whether you're far or near, the voice will be the same. Whatever language you speak, whatever level of your intellect, when he speaks, it will fit your mentality perfectly. Why? Three aeons of benefiting others through speech will create that type of speech for others. Do you notice when some people stand up and talk, we all go, oh wow. When some people talk, we go, oh, don't bother. That is the result of lying or not lying. The Buddha's body, he doesn't kill. He doesn't ask others to be killed. And he doesn't implement or instigate killing or rejoice in any way. From not killing his body, it's extremely pleasant to look upon. Yet his body doesn't create wrong, negative desire in us. When we see a Buddha body, we will not feel sexual attack. Because sexual attachment will in, will reduce um, will result in copulation. Copulation results in desire. Desire results in attachment. Attachment results in suffering because we have to separate one day. A lot of things we do is for copulation. A lot of things we do, but in the end, it doesn't reward us. Now, when we see a perfect Buddha body. It doesn't create that kind of desire in our minds. On top of that, the Buddha's eyes is very long. The Buddha's nose is straight. His neck is perfect. His ears is very long from listening to Dharma for many years. Aeons. Now, if we prostrate to a Buddha, the negative actions we have done with our body becomes purified because of the object. If we prostrate to a Buddha, we create the karma that our body will become a Buddha body one day. Solid, powerful, charismatic, and beneficial. If we offer incense to a Buddha, and we celebrate or offer this kind of 
offering to the Buddha will create the karma that we may be able to hold morality, ethics in the future. If we offer wealth to the Buddha, that's why people put gold leaf. When we offer wealth to the Buddha, we gain back wealth in the future. Not specifically materialistic wealth. Wealth that brings happiness. Wealth itself doesn't necessarily bring happiness. If we offer water to the Buddha in our future lives and this life, we will always gain sustenance. We will always gain what we need to survive and not die. My point, when you see a Buddha image, it has that kind of benefit. Especially for people who are very old, for people who are dying, for people who are very sick, if we create Buddha images for them, oh, it benefits them tremendously. Tremendously. Hence, in ancient China, Tibet, Thailand, Japan, Mongolia, Eastern Russia, Laos, all these West, uh, Eastern countries, you see huge Buddha statues all over Bhutan, everywhere, because they understand that. They know the benefits. In Buddhism, one of the best ways to benefit your parents is to become a monk or a nun. Do you know what happens when you do that and dedicate the merits? Your parents, no matter how they live their life, will not go to the three lower realms for seven generations. That's how powerful it is. So people say, but it's not possible for me, for me to do that, and also they wouldn't agree. Of course they wouldn't agree, and sometimes it's not possible. My point, that's why this tradition of Thailand of becoming a monk for seven days or a month, once a year, every year. Even the king of Thailand does that for his monk. Because you generate the merits to benefit others. Okay, there's a basis for all this. Why do you think the great monks of Hong Kong built a statue so large? A lot of people say, oh, that could have gone for hospitals and all that. Yes, it could have. But there's a deeper healing that happens when you create the images. There's a deeper benefit, there's a deeper, deeper blessing that happens when you create that. So therefore, it is very important that we have a Buddha image. And some other people might say, hey, you're idolaters. You pray to the statue. Oh, yes. But I would like to respectfully counter that by saying, we don't pray to a statue. We pray to the representation of what it's telling us. We have the potential to become a Buddha. That's the whole purpose of Buddhism. And the Buddha showed us that it is possible. So when we pray to a Buddha, when we pray to a Buddha, we are also opening that potential inside of us. So when we prostrate to a Buddha, we create the causes of getting a perfect body. In this life, we create the causes of purifying the body from sickness and extending our lives. If we recite the mantra of a Buddha, we create the causes to have powerful speech. When we recite the mantra of a Buddha, we also create the power to purify the speech that we have done in the past that was harmful. There are many, many benefits. Okay? So therefore, Today, when we, went, when we went up to see the Lantau Buddha, it has this kind of benefit. That's why we go on pilgrimages to see these holy places. And we create these kind of images. Now, I've given you a condensed explanation of the mind, 
of the line and of the images. Questions? Um, if the Buddha image really like bless people, then why is there so many problems in like Tibet's and you know, What's the correlation? No, why are they not blessing the monks who are being bullied out of their country? What is a blessing? A blessing is to have a country? No, aren't you supposed to be able to live in peace? But that's your perception of a blessing. That's not a blessing. A monk, a real monk, has no country, has no identity, has no lineage, has no parents. A real monk wouldn't be bothered what country they live in. A real monk wouldn't be affected by their background, their lineage, their, their family. That's your perception of a blessing. That's not a blessing. A blessing is when the difficulties come, you can still turn around to something positive. That's a blessing. A blessing is not to live in your country peacefully. Not at all. A blessing is if you live in a non-peaceful country or a peace and bring benefit to others. That's a blessing. But it's really sad to see in the news, you know, monks setting themselves on fire. But it's you have to understand something. Uh -huh. Just because you're a monk doesn't mean you're practicing. Uh -huh. Just because you're a Buddhist doesn't mean you're a good Buddhist. Just because you're a Christian doesn't mean you're a good Christian. Uh -huh. Doesn't mean that. Just out of Millions of Buddhist monks, if you have a few doing that, it doesn't represent all of them. I certainly wouldn't go and light myself on fire. So you don't look at that and say, why are they not blessed? Maybe they're not practicing correctly. Maybe they are. I can't judge them. But blessings is not that. Blessings is changing and transforming our minds to put up with the difficulties we have created and to create peace and betterment from that. That is a blessing. For example, for some people, when they pray, they will go bankrupt. For some people, when they pray, they will gain money. Why? Because mm -hmm. for one, it's a blessing, for one, it's not. For some people, if they get money, they drink, womanize, get sick, break up their family, lose the respect of their children, their wives leave, commit suicide. For some people not to get the money, although they're very unhappy, very sad, they have to work hard, their families stay together. Their children respect them. They learn how to work hard. They learn how to respect others. They learn how to behave because they have to please their bosses. That could be a blessing. A blessing is not the way you perceive it, that is just this way of nothing else. And Tibet and its monks and having problems has nothing to do with the Buddha blessing. It has everything to do with individual karma. I may be a monk now, but prior to this I have karma also. I've done actions also. My previous life I was something else. So the, th the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of lifetimes I have will not be cancelled out by this one single lifetime. Those actions will still return. You understand? Mm -hmm. But if we persist, definitely the blessings will be there. Definitely. Okay? Mm -hmm. Makes a little more sense? Yeah. And then the other question about... Um, Let me choose. 
um, having our past life. So when our population keep like increasing, that's such an easy one. <laughs> that's what I told you in the beginning. The Earth is just one speck in existence. Oh, just a speck. I'll give you an example. Doing a flood is a small lake. You can't very big. Where does the water come from? From the ocean. From the sky. Mm -hmm. But the water is still the water. So my point is, you don't look at human population as just planet Earth. There are billions of other existences that people can... Beings, let's not say people can say rebirth here and increase. And here increasing is not necessarily good. You understand my point? Yeah. Not necessarily good. So when you look at human population, you're looking at one speck in existence. Samsara consists of six realms. Earth is just one speck within samsara. It is not samsara. Earth is not samsara. Earth is one speck. Samsara is a Sanskrit term which is called, which identifies or translates as existence, the realm of desire. Okay, questions? Just like with different perceptions of what blessing is, there are also different uh, perceptions on, on what, what potential is. kind of 19 and a little bit high, medium. Yeah. Potential. Potential. Yeah. Parents have uh, their expectations of what our potentials are, our friends or society, we ourselves, but what, how do we know our true potential? How, what do you mean, how, how do we know our true potential? How do we recognize our, our true potential as, as, as a person, what we see ourselves? Do you want a spiritual answer or a secular answer? Both. All right. A secular answer, you know your potentials when, you, when you're rich, the end. Isn't that your goal for working, to get money and be rich? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Nothing more to think about. Mm -hmm. And the spiritual. The spiritual is, when whether you get rich or not doesn't matter, but you're happy. And then you reach your potential. What's the purpose of living? To be happy. It depends on if you want to think on a secular level, which is very low, or a spiritual level, which is the ultimate. It's different. Which one will be our truth will depend on our intelligence and will depend on our being true to ourselves. Because some people don't want to accept the higher truth because they prefer not to know so they can self-indulge. So it's different. Understand that? Questions? You have me all to yourself. My turn, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's nobody's turn. You have a question? You have a question. Poor guys. <laughs> Definitely, we have existed before. And we will exist again. Because, let's fast forward. If prior to the sperm and egg of your conception at 11 p.m. you were existent, 10.59 p.m. you were existent, then if you were to die 
that say at 1 p.m., whatever years later, at 101, you would have to exist also because you continue without this body. It's not just backwards, it's also forward. And if you can exist without this body, what rules and regulations and stipulations and necessities do you need for your journey? And what are you doing now to prepare for your journey? And what makes you think what you're doing now is correct preparation? And what makes you think now is more important than that future? When your future lives will be so much more than your life now? And what makes you think you will be alive for another 50 years, 20 years, 30 years, 80 years? At the max, 80. How much of that 80 years, if you live that long, and with quality and stability and health, have you eaten into it? So if you were to live at 80 and you're 30, you have 50 years left. The 50 years you have left, don't think your body is all fabulous and wonderful and you can still hop and jump and run and do somersaults until you're 80. How much of the good years you have left have you eaten into? Probably around till 50. You can take all the bird nests you want. When, the, when age hits, that's it. And so how many of those good years have you eaten into? When you think about that and all the actions you've committed in your life, knowingly, unknowingly, where will that lead you to? Don't talk about God. Don't talk about Buddha. Don't talk about monks and spiritual beings or anyone. Talk about the universal law of cause and effect. You do this, you get this. You create this, you do that. And we are our own masters. So if that's the case, how does Buddha fit into all this? Someone who is transcended samsara and has mastered himself and who can teach us the path. If I went to Lantau, I could tell you perfectly how to take the buses, how to go there, what route, how long to take. If I never went there, you ask me, I have no idea. When you go to a foreign country, especially if it's um, not advanced, the person you take refuge in is your tour guide. Not to be cheated and used and, you know, be taken away, kidnapped. Similarly, in this life, how long more do you have? If you don't have that much long left and you know 80 years is not that long, what are you doing now? that has true significance or true impact that's going to benefit you long-term. How are you thinking, acting, moving, talking? What is your focus? What, the minute you get up in the morning, what is the first thing you think I want to accomplish and do? Is that going to benefit you long-term? So when you get implanted with this type of wisdom, you start to think differently. You start to see things differently. Your spectrum opens. Your spectrum doesn't become more narrow. Your responsibilities and your love for your parents and duty, all that does not narrow. In fact, it increases. Why? Because then you go beyond yourself and say, what about my mom? How long does she have left and what has she done with her life? I love her to death, but what has she done with her life? Then it goes to my dad, my cousin, my siblings, my brother, my wife, my sister, my brother, my partner, my, my dog. Then what happens to them? 
And when we start thinking about others and expanding beyond ourselves, it's called compassion. And then when we do actions for them, it's called compassion in action. I have a question. Yeah. Oh, there are so many questions actually. <laughs> Take your time. It's a very precious and powerful system of thought that you've introduced to us that really opened my mind up. So I'm just You look very open. Extremely open. Yeah. Just like a a a bride the next day. In fact, yes. Hypothetically, I could control my entire self to completely adopt, understand, comprehend, and I mean, in, in, the, in, in the way I'm just imagining that in a snap second, I could achieve full potential, full happiness. And that, if I assume hypothetically I can, by control of everything, you know, a bit it's not possible because as you have taught us, it takes three yarns and five of what we do, full compassion, I forgot the four, <laughs> honestly. And you're a lecturer. And I have not meditated. <laughs> oh, you have. It's just on things that doesn't bring you much benefit. But you have. Meditation is not this, you know. Meditation is concentrated thought. Mm -hmm. sure. It could be in a car, but don't do it in sure. a car. Go ahead. And um, so this question is great from Sean about uh, full potential. He answered it beautifully, which is if you're happy, that's accomplishment of correct. potential. Correct. And happiness mm -hmm. based on wisdom and correct action, correct livelihood, correct thought, correct speech. Not happiness murdering. That's not happiness, that's delusion. Right. So this somehow draw me the connection of two, which is the atomic definition in the Buddhist context. And how the gross mind, obviously being the uh, you know, being constituted its constitu its constitution is from two. And I assume the subtle mind, which is the dichotomy of the two minds, that receives information from the five It's senses. not a dichotomy, it's, a, it's the gross mind arises from subtle, so it's not opposite, it is one. Okay. Just right. make that clear. So when we go through the process of death, we do not cease to exist because existence is sort of tied to, well, the one, yeah. but the, the subtle Existence mind. is... Your mind. The mind. Correct. Right. And your mind is who you are, not connected to your body, but temporarily using. I'll give another simple example. How good the hotel is, is how much we can do. We can be the most qualified person, the fastest person, the most technologically advanced. There's no internet. It's as for villagers. So if your hotel is really good, you can do a lot. If your hotel is not very good, you can switch. Your mind is like the occupant of a hotel. Sure. So just sort of, I wanted to get a little more articulate on that specific point, which is the moment in which the mind chooses in its next life. And you mentioned through the acting, the, the actions of our past, whether it was eons ago, or is it today, or the past 60 years of our finite physical self, um, in which we choose to act, right? Um, and that those, whether it's lies, whether it's, you know, you know adultery, and being awful to your parents, the people around you, having no compassion, you know, being self-indulgent and being myopic in your existence. And I think a lot of people us, you know, who are not trained in Buddhism have a very myopic perspective about life, mm -hmm. which is that we focus Mandela on... isn't Buddhist, he isn't very myopic. True, of course. So what I'm trying to do is I'm not trying to embarrass you, I'm trying to tell you the thought in Buddhism is labeled Buddhism, but that thought is universal and correct. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's, in this case, it's labeled Buddhism. But Buddhism doesn't own the copyright to kindness. Yes, I think it's fascinating.
because you go ahead, so, go ahead. Yeah, it made it so beautiful because, I, you know, I was a bit speechless actually. <laughs> um, you were actually heating up. I was. Because there was so much information. It was a lot. Yeah. <laughs> Never mind, you have, you won't see me for a while, so you have a lot of time to think about it. Mm -hmm. Sure. Um, a lot to read as well. Um, just for assimilating all this information, and I feel, hmm. I want to give you a question. <laughs> um, I'm patiently waiting. Okay, sorry. So the question is, um, the technical questions are, um, so I want you to articulate again how did I transition from the process of death through the subtle mind leaving the body, going to another, another form, through uh, Bardot, and through Bardot, how does that sort of process, can you define a bit more, and then how that goes into the next life, as in... Oh no, it's not next life, it's next life. Mm -hmm. But it's a continuum. <laughs> Correct. So it's the next, not life, but life. <clears throat> Correct. So the body we're talking about, we're not talking about the mind. Right. The two is obviously... Oh, I see. Next life meaning that if it's continuous, how can it be a next life? It's a life. Well, I, I see. We're talking about the physical mm -hmm. constituents ending and the, the new the, constituents. The two versus okay. the... I understand. Right. So... So it's a bit difficult for me to grasp my mind around it. If it's like you, will, you will grasp it. You know why? It's the first time you've heard it and you articulate it pretty well. Mm -hmm. you, you'll grasp it. Okay. I didn't say you'll accept it. I said you'll grasp it. No, in fact... I no, no, no. Mm -hmm. I'm saying that in a, in a respectful way, telling you I'm not stuffing it down your throat. I'm sharing and you take your time to think about it. But, you know, I, I want to share with you that, you know, respectfully, I actually find it such a beautiful system of thought. You know, I, I find that any person can sort of benefit from that system of thought. If you can, if you can realize that system of thought, sure. your life will be different. The way you look at others, the way your, your patience will grow. Your compassion will grow naturally. Mm -hmm. Your wish to work for others mm -hmm. will grow naturally. Mm -hmm. Your happiness will grow. Mm -hmm. Your method of benefiting people you love very much will be exponential. It is not a matter of just feeding them and taking care of them and pleasing them on a very superficial level. Mm -hmm. It will grow exponentially because you will do things for them for their future lives. Mm -hmm. Just like parents do for us when we're young, we don't know until we grow up. That's the other question I have actually about parents. Who are they to us then? Who are they to you? They are the ones that gave you your body so you can practice to become a Buddha. Okay. So you owe them mm -hmm. your spiritual practice. The spiritual practice. The spiritual practice. So they oh. give us my body? Yes. Okay. Yes. Now, Shakyamuni mm -hmm. lived for 81 years exactly. Mm -hmm. at, the, at the time of 81 years when he finished, he manifested Paranirvana or death. Mm -hmm. He turned three wheels of Dharma. They're called Yanas. Y-A-N-A-S. Yanas. You have the Hina Yana the Mahayana mm. and the Vajrayana. Mm. Hinayana teachings are pervaded, pervasive in Southeast Asia. Mahayana is pervasive in China, Mongolia, Tibet, Nepal, Japan, Korea. Mm. Tantrayana or Vajrayana, the Adamantine path, was available and is available and not predominant in Northern Asia, such as North China, Tibet, Mongolia, Nepal, India. Now, in school, 
In my school in America, when you score very high, they put you in a gifted and talented class. They put me in that. Because when kids were in sixth grade, well, when we were in sixth grade, we just, some of us grasped things very fast. So they put us in classes that taught us seventh, eighth, ninth, and tenth grade simultaneously, and we passed. So it's called the talented and gifted class. So those talented and gifted kids, if you put them in an ordinary class, they would just die because they're so bored. And they learn so fast, they know so, they know so much, unlike normal kids, okay? Similarly, among Buddha's hundreds and thousands of disciples, you have the gifted and talented who can speed up the spiritual practice, they can absorb, learn, apply, get results, and then go step two, step three, step four. For those, he taught the Mahayana. Then among the Mahayana path, for those exceptionally gifted, very meritorious, and very hardworking, he taught the Tantrayana path. The Tantrayana path, depending on what path you engage in and how hard you work, can bring you enlightenment within one, seven, or sixteen lifetimes, which is a shortcut. It's a long time. It's a short time compared to three eons. Now there's a catch. The first, third, fourth, and last Buddhas will teach Tantrayana. The other 996 Buddhas that will appear will never teach Tantrayana because people don't have that predisposition. So Shakyamuni, which is what the age we live in in Shakyamuni, his teachings he himself has predicted will live for 5,000 years. During the 4,500th year to the 5,000th year, it will degenerate and become nothing. He has predicted. Why? The merit and the times the people cannot support it. Now, Buddha Shakyamuni taught the Hinayana paths, the Mahayana paths, and the Vajrayana paths. So within the Vajrayana path, you can bypass Hinayana to achieve enlightenment much quicker. Now, why did he teach those three different paths for three different levels of people. There are those who take it slow, there are those who like it faster, and there are those who have the incredible merit and intelligence to do things and accomplish things much faster. So he taught the highest path. The next Buddha to come, that will appear in our fortunate place, will be Maitreya. He will not teach Santrayana. He will teach only Hinayana teachings. So we are considered extremely fortunate during this aeon because there are three yanas, three Vehicles. Yanas is vehicles. So therefore, Tantrayana is one of the quickest and most powerful paths to enlightenment. But you have to get the foundations and preliminary practices stabilized first. You don't just jump into it. It can take you 15, 20, 16, 17, 30, 40 years to prepare. Some people, two years, three years. How hard do you work? That's one. Second, We have a central channel. In Chinese medicine, you call that the qi channels. The central channel has two alternate channels, which is the left and the right paths. 
Then these three channels plus these three channels branch out all over our bodies. When they branch back to our bodies, they conjoin in five places. Those five places, Westerners, New Age people call chakras. But they're actually places that the passages where the winds go through converge. So here, 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 and here. Now, when any of those get blocked, we can become very angry. Disillusion. We can become very violent. We can go off. So through meditation, we can unblock these channels. We can move these channels. In Chinese medicine, you can put needles in certain places to unblock. Chinese don't so much focus on the mind in their healing. They focus on the body, which is fabulous. The Tibetan focusing on those points are clearing the channels of the mind so that the negative mind doesn't arise. Because we believe the negative mind creates the diseases in the body. Exactly, if a lot of anger can come in cancer. Okay, now, when we are dying, when we are dying in a normal death, I'm not talking about an accidental life, you fall off the cliff, you know, bless people, I don't mean in a bad way, or you get hit by a bus, or you know, you, you really just collapse and hit your head on the stairs and you just instantly die. I'm talking about a, a normal, non-accidental, sudden death when that happens. Then the winds all converge into these five places. When the winds converge to these five places, one by one the elements in your body, the primordial elements, earth, air, wind, and fire will dissolve. When fire element dissolves, you feel cold. So you hear a lot of people who are dying say, oh, give me a blanket, it's so cold. When the wind element dissolves, you will lose your hearing. When the, when the earth element dissolves, you feel a shaking. You start to lose consciousness. You will not be able to hear people around you. When the, when, when, when the earth, air, water, when the water element desires, uh, 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 dissolves, you feel extremely thirsty, your eye will start going off. So what happens is step by step, you lose your feeling, your sight, your hearing, your taste, and your touch. This will happen. When this happens, when this happens, the winds dissolve into the five points. The five points, the winds dissolve into the three channels. The three channel wind, the winds dissolve into the last channel. The last channel starts from here, from the secret organ, up to our crown then the mind abides here. If we have been praying to our Buddha, for example, if our Buddha has been Tsongkhapa or whatever your guru has been signing to you, assigned to you, at that moment, you'll be conscious. Outwardly, there will be no heartbeat. Outwardly, there will be no pulse. And your body will be not moving. No rick and mortis yet, but you're still there. And when you're there, if you have been meditating, you will be able to hear everyone around you, see everyone around you, and know what's going on without using your eyes, ears, nose, or body. How is that possible? Just like in your dream. For how long? Depends on you. 
some 49 days, some seven days, some one minute, some with a lot of fear instantly. Depends on you and the control you gain over your body. And I'm sorry, your mind. There are some very advanced ladies in, a, in Tibet, lady practitioners, who after they die, they can sit firm for 30 days. No decomposition. And will they feel if they are being cremated? Of course not. Why would they be in their body? Why would anybody cremate them when they're still inside? That would be murder. But she might be lying down and you don't know. Oh, no, 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 my ignorant little friend. There are many advanced people around who can see whether she's still there or not. They're not all race one going, oh, is it there or not? Let's burn her. Oops, too late. <laughs> no, no. There are many ways to observe. I'm telling you a shortcut how this happens. Don't start going off the sidetrack into something very minor. Of course there are people who can say, oh, they're still inside or they're gone. Of course there are. Question, but is, yeah. is dream the, you know, in, in a very modern sort of like understanding, obviously chemical. Modern doesn't make it better. Of course, mm. excuse me, qualify that. Great, thank you. <laughs> but but the, the chemicals that, that allows for the manifestation, what you said, which is dream, which is some sort of still, I, I mean, my mind actually still is dependent on my first answering to semantics and the neural, the neural um, organs. That's the, the, the common functions may have died away, but, but the, 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 the dream can still exist because in my way of thinking, it's still dependent on the chemistries of the, of the brain. So, so in some way, I'm experiencing a dream in a lucid way, whether it's a projection of my in a long memory or a short memory, whatever, and then identify that image that I'm in. The movie actually, I don't know if I actually watched it, Inception. So it's, no, I didn't. Okay, so it sort of goes through this sort of... But that's just a movie. Sure, sure, but it's sort but of... That's not even that. used as a reference point. It's just a silly Hollywood movie to make money, which no. you, didn't, you didn't invest in too bad. It made a lot. And <laughs> but, then... <laughs> but it extracts sort of the paradigm out of that movie, which is just one single thing. Which is you can extract the paradigm, but not reference. from a movie. Okay, fine. You know why? It's from just, Freud. Can we from Freud? No, it's just a movie. Okay, so just a very simple, simple description, characteristic projection identification that there exists somehow within this chemistry of the brain. So okay. when the, bot, the person dies, the chemistry sort of slowly dies down. The not necessarily, but electromagnetic sort of measurements of our brains sort of cease. So there may be possible for us. To it could be that. But what happens if it's not? That's what I'm saying. Is it, is no, no. It could be that. Mm -hmm. But what happens if it's not? Uh, what happens if it's not? Then the Buddha's wrong. Okay. Sure. Then the Buddha's wrong, and the thousands and millions of Buddhist monks in the past who have achieved higher levels of realization and clairvoyance are wrong. Is that inferential logic then? It's not inferential logic. It's direct perception because you can see these accomplished masters. In our monasteries, which you have not visited and you are ignorant of, of course. in our monasteries, ignorant is a good word, meaning you don't know, mm -hmm. sure. we have witness monks mm -hmm. in the heat die mm -hmm. and stay in meditation for 30 days with mm -hmm. no moving, mm -hmm. nothing. Incredible. Mm -hmm. And guess what? Mm -hmm. The last monk that exhibited that, which is a few years ago, mm -hmm. they got the permission of the authorities mm -hmm. and the police, mm -hmm. the doctors. Mm -hmm scientists came mm. and they hooked up everything to this dead body mm. 
and they were amazed why it's not decomposing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Very famous. Mm -hmm. And then when the monk finally decided to leave his body, mm -hmm. he gave this sign, which is common. Mm -hmm. A drop of blood will come from here, mm -hmm. a drop of blood will come from here, mm -hmm. and his body will do this. Then you make me hit. Okay. Okay. Sure. This is scientifically proven. Yeah, that's good. I mean, at, at least for me. Oh no, no. For, you know what? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Trust me mm -hmm. that I wouldn't simply just believe it. Trust me. That's true. I wouldn't simply believe it. You know what? Then my whole life would have been wasted. <laughs> no, I'm not saying that as an emotional threat to you. I'm telling you that to myself. I'm telling you all this just on a philosophical basis. As time goes on, I will show you examples. I will relate incidences. I will tell you more and more. Today, I can't give you the hundreds of examples I've seen in 30 years, but I will eventually. I will. Let me just give you the philosophy. Example, mm -hmm. if you're going for medical school, I'll say to you, well, we cut here, cut here, it's like that, like that. And you say, well, how does that work? Mm -hmm. Give me time, and we'll get corpses, we'll cut it up, and we'll try. You're not wrong. It is that. Okay. It is that. Our mind does depend on neurology. Mm. It does depend on mm. the electrons. It does depend mm. on the chemicals. Mm. But the chemicals and neurons and electrons are used by our mind. Mm. It is not our mind. Mm. I want to stress, it is used by our mind, but it is not our mind. Another question I have then. Okay connecting the point um, about intent, about our, you know, the inference of that. So you mentioned how that's continuum mm -hmm. all the way from the past. Like, we are not necessarily just the DNA combination. Or that's a two. So, okay. But, but there is still the, in the imprints, which is very significant. The imprints are right. what makes you like and not like. It is what makes you like and not like, or prefer, or have preferences, right? On a ordinary level. But one that's very attained are not controlled by their imprints. They transcend the imprints. So that's not really a part of self, is it? The imprints mm -hmm. are removable, so therefore they're not a permanent part of self, but they're temporarily a part of so self. So they're like the long memories. Uh, they're not a long memory. Mm -hmm. Imprints are what compels you to do what you do whether you remember or not. Mm -hmm. Some can remember, mm -hmm. some cannot. It depends on the level of your development. Mm -hmm. So, them operating in your life and influence you doesn't depend on your memory of them. Mm -hmm. Our memory of something doesn't make it exist or not. Mm -hmm. That means if we don't remember, it doesn't mean it doesn't exist. Sure, of course, exactly. Yeah. Something like that. So if we don't remember our previous lives mm -hmm. for the moment, mm -hmm. it doesn't mean it doesn't exist. So, but obviously, the, the potential for preferences are some, some are strong. So I think I understand what you're saying is they all they exist. Yes. Um, it's just a matter of... Of triggering them. Triggering them. Yes. Right. So they're, they're more like impulses. They're, 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 no, not so much impulses. Awesome. But some can be, but not all. Mm -hmm. Now, what triggers them is the environment you have been born into. Okay. Mm -hmm. What what creates you to be born in the environment is the karmic dispositions that open at the time of death. So the time of death, if you have extreme desire towards money, you can be born in a very wealthy family. Mm -hmm. With that wealth, you can destroy yourself. Mm -hmm. Why? It's attachment. Mm -hmm. At the time of death, 
you can completely say, where I'm a course, may I take a rebirth? That will be a tremendous benefit to others. So you take rebirth in a country, perhaps very harsh, very difficult. And you grow up in a horrible, nasty life. And you grow up to have strength, dignity, hard work, ethics. For example, Mandela. And you command the respect of the world and change the world. But you know what's really fascinating is suddenly from the very onset inception of your conversation about um, the fact that you know it's part of Chinese civilization of being Chinese, the cultural significance of it all, and suddenly it seems you know it's okay to believe in a system with all like this without. You know, you know, you know what? I want to tell you something, and I'm going to be very direct. Sure. Stop thinking Chinese are stupid. I, I don't. No, no, no. I don't mean it in a bitchy way to you. I'm just sure. saying, stop thinking Chinese are stupid. Mm -hmm. What do I mean by that? Mm -hmm. Chinese are such an advanced race, mm -hmm. so advanced. I've read so much of their literature when I was in the monastery, mm -hmm. all right? Now listen, mm -hmm. they're very pragmatic also. Mm -hmm. If it doesn't work, out. So for Chinese people to adopt a system into their culture, mm -hmm. it must work. Mm -hmm. It must mean something. It must have some type of benefit or be out. They're very pragmatic. Though I'm afraid they're at what point is because of royals, the, the elite of that time, that Buddhism was considered as a, some sort of a class differentiation and that, that's symbolic, it's like, it's like a status symbol. And so the that, time, right. that I don't know. But I will say this, mm -hmm. Buddhism wasn't the only thing that was used as a class symbol. It could be a jade cup, it could be how, how you walk. Mm -hmm. There was class symbols to be male and female. Seven step behind the male. You're female. Mm -hmm. It doesn't have nothing to do with Buddhism. Mm -hmm. You see, that has nothing to do with Buddhism. Mm -hmm. That has to do with Chinese always wanting face. Fascinating. Yes, that has nothing to do with Buddhism. They just some of the royals borrow that no. in order to suppress people. But you know what? Mm -hmm. People suppress people with I'm a movie star, so you should worship me. Mm -hmm. It's not necessarily Buddhism. It is people using different avenues to suppress and create class differentiation. Just to make a connection there as well. Okay. Yes, there's a connection. Right. But you see, mm -hmm. it doesn't take away from the fact that the Chinese are highly advanced in their thinking, philosophy, mm -hmm. writing, everything. Mm -hmm. They're highly pragmatic. Mm -hmm. Were there people in Chinese history that abused Buddhism and, and, and uh, hurt the, uh, the, uh, the lower classes? Yes. Mm -hmm. And were there Chinese that used Buddhism to better the classes? Yes. Mm -hmm. So what's your point? I think what I'm trying Buddhism to... Buddhism is the victim here. Mm -hmm. Sure. sure. Alright? Sure. Now, believing in Buddhism mm -hmm. is a very strong part of identifying with your past and your culture. And there's nothing wrong with that. Sure. I mean, that you just told me you have kind of went, oh yeah. Yeah, sure. Exactly. And that's one of the reasons why I like to bring Buddhism back to China. Got it. <laughs> Connection. <laughs> really? It's one of the reasons. Sure. I, I mean that. Sure. Because I'm very proud of China. Mm -hmm. You know why I'm proud of China? Mm -hmm. I'll tell you the truth. Because mm -hmm. when I was growing up, I was called many racial derogatory names mm -hmm. and made to feel that I am inferior because I'm not white. Mm -hmm. I was called chink every single day in school. Mm -hmm. They pulled their eyes up at me every single day. Mm -hmm and they would make racial slurs about me being yellow. Mm. And they, I grew up in my teenage years feeling that I was inferior because I wasn't white. Mm. 
And when I came to the East, I was overwhelmed. Mm. I said, wow. Mm. Wow. Mm. That's why I don't admire people who say, oh, I want to live in New York. It's so much better. Oh, I love London. Mm. You're a race trader. Mm. Oh, Hong Kong's no. fabulous. No, you know what I mean. Sure. I'm not talking about people who live there for reasons that are positive. I'm talking about they feel they're inferior. Their culture is inferior. Everything's inferior. But if I speak like them, act like them, dress like them, talk like them, I'm better. That's what I'm talking about. So today's mainland Chinese. Well, that's why we need to bring our culture back, and one of them is Buddhism. Mm. If we can bring that back to them, mm. we'll do, be doing a great service to this nation. I have no question. Do you, do you understand that? I completely understand that. That's why I'm mm. passionate about it. Mm. And that's a way you can give back to this nation and create a legacy. Mm. Bring China up. Mm. Isn't that interesting and fascinating? And, I, I received, I'm, I'm open to receive, receptive to see the thoughts, but I have more questions. <laughs> no, no, no. But before you get your questions, let me finish my questions. It's not exciting. It truly is very To bring something back. In the resurgence of renaissance of, of Chinese language. Yes. <laughs> yes. Are there negativities toward that? There is, but you know what? If we're going to think like that, don't do anything. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Don't create cars. Don't don't you know? Don't do anything. Just sit in the forest and do nothing because everything has repercussions. It's our motivation. Mm -hmm. It's our motivation. Question. Thank you for connecting that. Though. Um, I think a lot of this abstraction going on. So I was thinking, um, like in my abstraction mind, going on. Are you Van Gogh? No, no. It's actually when you would speak <laughs> when we were talking about. Here we talking about this. I was actually trying to parallel what you're saying to my my, my system of thought. So I was try, actually trying to match this. Video. So you came in wrong. You should came in with an open mind. And I, I do parallels. I do. I'm, I'm creating a whole compartment. boy. No, but I compartmentalize a whole new space. For there that. you go. I have a yeah. small little compartment no, in your mind. No, it's parallel to mine actually. <laughs> mm. All right. So I was thinking that every. That, Again, I'm taking a third party sort of stance thinking about this. Of course thinking. not. You don't want to look bad in case you're wrong. Go ahead. Good point. All right. So, <laughs> the truth. That, that's the part, I think. Maybe that's the reason why I'm doing it. But, um, so I was thinking there's a great deal of um, a parallel and similarity between how I would describe and have the world order and world view from, the, from how I work as a person to how life and death cycle works. And, and yet, I'm able to traverse between the two systems of thought and not have too much of a just, just give me the question. The question I'm pretty smart, trust me. Okay. Just give me the question. The question is, um, can I actually understand Buddhism as just, as I just said, a system of thought, or the vocabulary in terms of the way I understand life, but I know that's different from what I would in, you know, currently understand the world, which is, you know, when you talk, when you talked about the sperm and the egg combining and that we exist prior to those combining, I was thinking in the midst of this too, there's this thing called meiosis and meiotic, you know, and recombination and all that. And then I was drawing your reference about, um, you know, how like, you know, <laughs> it's a bit, a bit complicated. Just give me the question. The question is, I still have, I still can't, I, I still think that Buddhism, okay, everything you just said, is a, it's, it's like 5,000 years of understanding and, and conceptualizing our life. And yet, you know, it, it's, it's, it's a perfect system of thought. 
and it, it's it's perf perfect in the in the way it thinks. But I can't, you know. I still want to modernize it. You know, if I can, instead of just saying. What's your question? Uh, the fifth time. What's okay, your can I just step out of it and say I don't necessarily need to believe in Buddhism, but I completely understand the system of thought, and I can practice it as a way to increase. Uh, my, you know, improve myself. Yes, you can. Yeah. Well, that's easy. <laughs> I was afraid or timid of approaching it, you know. You see, however you think about Buddhism, however you view it, and your acceptance of it or not, has no significance to its truth. Mm. You are nobody. Mm. Sure. Your thought has pervaded nothing. Mm. Your ideas have done nothing for mankind. Mm -hmm. Your way of living has benefited no one. Mm -hmm. You are nothing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. There is no way mm -hmm. you can ever compare to the Buddha's mind. Of course. That's one. Mm -hmm. So if you want to take 84,000 teachings of the Buddha mm -hmm. and then just say it's a way of life, then you have taken something great mm. and made it into something very materialistic. So can I respectfully? No, 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 no. I'm not. I'm not offended or dis or I feel disrespect. No one. Let me finish. Mm. Okay. So you just made it into something that is another way for you to please yourself. Mm. That's my life, and and I'll. I don't believe in it, but I like it, and it's a way of life, and and I'm. It becomes another indulgence. It becomes another method for you to feel good. It completely takes away from its original inception, which is to generate compassion. Mm -hmm. If you don't wish to worship the Buddhas or do meditations and practices, that's fine. But you have to understand, Buddhism's beginnings and teachings and philosophy and practice is not developed for you to conveniently just make it a way of life and then feel you'll get benefits. You will not get the full benefits from that because that's not the approach. Mm -hmm. But is it wrong? No. Mm -hmm. Is it bad karma? No. Will you be punished? No. Will a real Buddhist be offended? No. Mm -hmm. But if you're going to go inside a BMW mm -hmm. and drive with just one foot, not your arm, and you don't learn any of the parts or how to move it or anything, you won't get the full benefits. But can you drive it with just one foot and nothing else and, and all that? Sure you can. Mm -hmm. Sure you can. So if you want to drive Buddhism with that myopic kind of narrow thinking that is not receptive to more because you cannot learn all of Buddhism in one session and then conclude immediately after one session, why even bother going to school and get a degree? On the first lecture, you should say to your teacher, oh, I know what to do already. You're not giving yourself time, learning, patience, debate, meditation, concentration, investigation into learning and more. How can one session of 2,000, not 2,500 years of rich Buddhist tradition, 84,000 teachings by the Buddha, be concluded in one session is just a way of life? If I was you, I wouldn't conclude either way, but investigate further and take a few years to do so. Because what I'm teaching you took me 30 years, not one session. Now, you have a huge chip on your shoulder about religion. Huge and massive. But that's not religion's fault. That's your fault. Because you've been 
construed with ideas that religion is negative, religious teachers are negative, something about it is negative. You've been construed with that idea and I respect that because someone must experience something negative to have that thought to put that in your mind. Because not all religious practitioners are so pure. There have been bad ones who, under the guise of Buddhism, do negative things. So therefore, that's that. But that is not Buddhism. Example, if I come to Hong Kong and I, and I have one Chinese person abuse me, how can I say China is bad or Chinese people are bad? This, well, I can't say that. You know? So what I'm saying to you is, at the moment, you have a huge mental block about religion in general and its true function. And do you know where it arises from? Ignorance. So if I was you and your question to me is, can I take it as a way of life at the moment? Sure you can. Would that be offensive? No. But what I'm trying to say to you is like driving a Beamer with just one foot, not even your arms, not even learning the console, how to move, how to operate it and, and read the user's guide and really get full enjoyment out of it. But just, to, can I just drive with a foot? Sure. But, but I just gave, there's 12 lessons and I gave you half a lesson for how to operate a Beamer. So you conclude it very fast. Yes, you're very intelligent. But even intelligence requires more information to digest yeah, and conclude. Right. Yeah. So if I was you, if I was you, there are some things in me that unfortunately you like. But I need to tell you that's the result of Buddhist practice. So maybe you can fast forward yourself with some results to conclude. Not yet. Be a scientist. Learn more. Dissect, learn, ask questions. Tell me. Well, you know, I think it's a very heuristic response for me, actually, you know, just looking at diversity of all sort of practices around the world. And fortunately enough, I have been through some of those countries and saw a very different system of thoughts, you know. So I'm afraid that I'm taking a third level sort of thing, looking down in the plethora of these phenomena and thinking, you know, the diversity of it, it has to be that from an anthropological standpoint, which unfortunately instilled in me through my studies in sociology and anthropology, that these are all, you know, these are all, like, as I've mentioned before, <laughs> as, if the anthropolog the terms. <laughs> as, as if the anthropologists are the gods and they're filled with wisdom and they should be worshipped instead of anybody else, as if that's it. As if anthropology over the last hundred years have been metamorphosized and changed their, their thinking because they dig up more and more things, they find out everything they taught was wrong. As if the anthropologists that taught in Yale and Harvard are infallible. Please, of course they're keep your mind open, my dear. I do, I do, I do. If you do, you cannot take on their view and be defensive about their view. You're absolutely right. In a good way. Mm -hmm. Sure. Because you're totally, oh, that's what they say, that must be it. And I'm, I'm immersed in that, and that must be it. You see, mm. then you limit your knowledge. Mm. Those are possible that our minds are. But, it, but you see, leave it that both are possibilities. Don't take on the stance of them mm -hmm. against this. Mm -hmm. Take on the stance of, let's see which one. But you know what, I'm trying to articulate something which I'm trying very hard to. And I, yeah. Just say it, I won't be offended. So for example, form, okay, like a circle. Different societies have very, you know, different interpretations maybe, perhaps. Circle could be in different words and whatnot. So I'm just saying that they're just representation of different, you know, like Buddhism versus Christianity are saying the same things. Be compassionate, be loving, whatnot. Mm. But they're all like they're all sort of giving a form to what that thing is, and we're just sort of semantically processing in a different way. Not but, exactly. Not I don't exactly. agree. No, okay, I don't sure. agree. So like the you know the, the you key, you you because okay. you've really summarized it in a very simplistic, childish manner that comes from first grade learning. Mm. 
Mm. If you were graduated from this, it would be different. Sure. Very, you've completed very simplistic. No, I agree with you, I agree with you, I had to. It's very yeah. simplistic. Because you know where I'm coming from, which, I, as I said, I, I may be supposed to be intelligent, but I don't have the information and the knowledge, That's right? right? That's so, there's no cost so, but it, See, right? when you say that, mm -hmm. it's very final. Mm. Okay, sure. The way you say it is very final, okay. which sends a message to the self that that's it. Not at all. Good. Not at all. Good. Fact, as I, long as it's not that, it's not because you're too eloquent, so I thought it's final. No, not at all. I'm trying, I'm trying to... Now, when you say that different cultures view... No, finish your question. Go ahead. Sure. So I'm just... Uh, no, but you're right. You know, absolutely. But not final. Not final. <laughs> not final. Not I'm final. about to you. Um, so you're too intelligent to make something as short that we just talked for a while final. Well you wouldn't be happy if I told you done, so what would you like? Let's I... just say thank you and move on. Okay. All so... right. Would you like me to say you're dumb? No. That you makes me actually more intellectual and tweet. <laughs> Let's put it this way. You're Chinese and you don't want to lose face. So let me just say you're smart make you smappy. Then I'll get another free dinner out of you, which I haven't gotten yet. Go fair, ahead. Fair, fair enough. <laughs> Deal. <laughs> no, so, um, so humbly, so, um, just thinking whether you would accept, not accept, <laughs> so just that, just like a box, for example, like, you know, so the Buddhism would say this is, excuse me, I'm just going to use my body, okay, my, my, my body, the way Christian would talk about my body versus Buddhism would talk about my body, the way we, the death process works, you mentioned, uh, you know, we lose our water, air, earth, we lose fire. our fire, we lose our wind. wind, and then we, it goes through this sort of directional process, you know, sort of throw over. It's a, cons it's a physiological That description uh, may explain it very well, yet parallel, can we just open out a, a compartment for that? We know about that, so can you? <laughs> that the, the Christians may have somehow explained, I don't know what it is, I'm so lack of information that I can only sort of describe, okay, abstractly. So how can you say Christians and you don't know anything about uh, Another religion. <laughs> but you don't know anything about another religion and what they view with the body Can is. we have a hypothetical religion just to create this? No, because then you're just trying to win. No, no. I'm you can't to see use any hypotheticals on religion because you don't know about it. Okay. So you can't use an example, you have to use an abstract example. Abstract example. Yeah, you have to. Sure. Because you have no studies it or is, basis it is, for that. It is, it is, that's right. So you can't use Christianity. Okay. I, I, I love Now that. you can use... I love your intellectual rigor. <laughs> no, you can use run runs. Run runs. Go ahead, run runs. I'm grateful. We call it run region. <laughs> I'm grateful you got I'm grateful you got me there. So run run region. Run run region. Your first <laughs> priestess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And... You know what? One of my favorite subjects is anthropology. Mm. One of my favorite. But they lie a lot. Mm. <laughs> they lie quite a lot. Interesting. They, some of them do, yeah. Anthropometric. Not some. A lot of them lie, especially when you dig up new things to cover the old. Mm -hmm. They lie a lot. It's very imperfect. Very imperfect. It's not a matter of just imperfection. It's, a, it's the arrogance. Mm. It's the arrogance that only it can be discovered with something tangibly in your hand, which I don't like. I believe a lot has been discovered by tangibility, but I don't believe that's the only way. Because why? Then you negate any other possible perception that humans can have. 
I actually feel really bad because I'm wasting time, like precious time, talking about anthropology. I'm just gonna go back to your point. <laughs> no, you you asked me a question. I know. I just got the point. So, you said something about square, a circle. Yeah. You were trying to pretend you're so good in Christian philosophy, and you were trying to. That's why you can't use it. You have to use something you were sure. You're trying to say like, oh, why does Buddhism explain death in one way and another religion explains it in a different way? That's simply put, but I think Rinpoche answered that, you know. <laughs> you calling her a dumb blonde? No. <laughs> That's very simply put. <laughs> you do know so me very well. Oh, no, 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 no. Run, run. You could never ask me something that's not been asked. I've been at this for 20 years. Of course. No, but race actually but what I'm, said what something exactly what I want to okay. say. But you what's know? your point? The point is exactly what race said, you know? Oh, like, is that okay? I'm just trying to say that okay, yeah. Buddhism has existed for a long time, mm -hmm. and there's this system that you believe that when you die, certain things happen, and some other religions existed for a long, long time, too, mm -hmm. and they believe that when you die, maybe you some go to heaven or hell. Yeah. Okay, exactly. some religions tell you, if you speak against their religion, they kill you. Sure. What would you like me to do with that? Unfortunately, you can't judge that, can you? I can judge that. I will not kill them if they offend my religion. I can judge it. Because religion teaches compassion, not murder. So some religion teach me that mm -hmm. if you don't accept my religion, I bomb you. Mm -hmm. yeah. What would you say about that? Why would you use that as an example? You know, it's hard to say this because they come from such different ethology, right? It's not a matter of ethology. It's a matter mm -hmm. of how this religion has served mankind. Okay. How it has resulted in mankind and for how long it has benefited or resulted and what's the resultant practice of the religion. Because Buddhism is universal, but at the same time it feels as if that the greatest scientist in the world, mm -hmm. Albert Einstein, said the most logical religion is Buddhism. The religion of the future is Buddhism. Man will have to evolve towards that because Buddhism is all accepting, is all encompassing, mm -hmm. non-violent, and at the same time, realistic. Then does it encompass Christianity as well? It encompasses everyone, including Christians, unless you're a fanatical Christian that says mm -hmm. your statues need to be burned, mm -hmm. your temples need to be blown up and destroyed, mm -hmm. and we are the only way. How does Buddhists explain Christianity then? How does Buddhists explain of the existence of Christianity? What do you mean explain? What is there to explain? How does, how does Buddhism explain Chinese culture? I mean, how does Buddhism explain French cuisine? I mean, what, why does that have to explain? They're constructs though, right? I mean, really... Do they accept you? They, do, how do they even, in some way, understand Christianity in its own terms? The other religion, the other existing, you know, system of thoughts. Because you, you mentioned, it's, you know, it encompasses them, that you... You know, that I didn't say it encompasses Christianity. Right. I said it encompasses mm -hmm. universal thought, which is beyond Christianity. Mm -hmm. I told you earlier also, what the Buddha taught is not saying that he has the copyright. He's telling you what he has perceived in his enlightenment as existent. Mm -hmm. As I told you, Adams existed, but identified it. It doesn't mean he created it. Mm -hmm. I'm just fighting myself right now. No, you don't. Go ahead and do Buddhism, or you don't. No, no, no. Take a, like, a you don't. You don't. You don't do Buddhism. Right. You don't do religion, you don't do anything. This is what you do. You attend more of my classes, mm -hmm. my teachings. 
you read more. Mm -hmm. You write down questions. Mm -hmm. You take your sweet time and you add this to your plethora, your favorite word of knowledge. <laughs> <laughs> and you can more, even 10 years later, if you say to me, Rimji, I love you, I'll support you, I'll help you, we'll be friends to the end of our days. May I take Buddhism as a way of life? I say, no problem. That's a materialistic way of life, self-indulgent way of life. You see, <laughs> let's put it this way. There's one truth, no matter what religion or no religion. If you live for yourself, you don't live. If you live for others, it's worth living. That's one truth. Because everywhere we go, any country and culture, religion or no religion, we respect people who serve others. Is that not true? It's true. Correct. Even, even the most violence in the middle of the Middle East that blow up people, when they see people, one of them helping the poor or whatever, they feel touched. Even the most, like, Bin Osama. Just to clarify, we don't live for respect and purpose and self-approval of others. Right? No, right. you're mixing it all up and you're twisting it around. I when I say respect, right. it doesn't mean you live for it. It means yeah. that when it registers, even with such a violent person, mm -hmm. it means that quality is good. Mm -hmm. You're not doing it for Osama's respect. Mm -hmm. You're doing it that even such a murderous person can feel that. You get what I'm saying? That that tell that feeling is the truth. That emote. That feeling is the truth. That's what I mean. It's of course not for respect. Yeah, that would be yeah. Calm and respect. Oh. Wait 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 hold. Oh. He was like, like what's going on? Typhoon in the building. My name is Tem 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 Typhoon TTR. You have been torturing people for years, and I am your purification. Yes, dear. I like your nails. No, not many people daring to put blue. It's very nice. I wouldn't do it, but it's nice. You do not look like Elvira. Go ahead. I hear people talking about like the living Buddha. Is like the Buddha really reincarnated into somebody? Oh, you are Malaysian. Okay, now, <laughs> when someone mm -hmm. really lives their life for others mm -hmm. and has spontaneous compassion and generosity and they really work for others and they teach and they're tireless in their quest to benefit others, it is like the Buddha themselves. So they liken that to them and they give them a title or they give him an honorary kind of respect by saying he's like a living Buddha, whole full. Mm. It doesn't mean that they're the living Buddha. Oh. It's just a title. Mm. Okay? 